Welcome to Through the Storm podcast with me, Graham. Most of you know me from TikTok, from documenting my mum's journey, and I have been talking about making this for a while now. So the layout of this will be a main topic, then music, and then as highly requested, a bedtime story, which I still think is weird, but you requested it. So we'll just jump right in. I wanted to go back way to the beginning where this all began. So back in 2012, when I was 20, my dad fell ill. He collapsed in the shower and it was very unlike him to forget where to go when he was driving places, which is what he was doing afterwards. So we thought he might have some concussion. He said he slid in the shower. So that's what we just took it as. But it turned out that he had a brain tumour, which was inoperable. They tried to remove what they could. He had a big scar down the side of his face. His head, sorry. And I had no idea at the time how serious it was. It was obviously very upsetting to find out that my dad had a brain tumour because you do think the worst. But I had no idea how long he had left. I thought he had years left. I think what upset him the most is he got told he couldn't drive anymore, which he loved to do and he was going to retire the following summer with my mum. Their plan was to travel around in a caravan. They always wanted to do it, and he wanted to get a little pickup truck to get his own wee dog so he could do wee pickups on the motorway and things like that. So he sadly passed away the following year in April, so within about six months of being diagnosed, my dad passed away quite quickly. And we were all there at Macmillan Hospice um, for his last breath, um, which is, haunts me until today, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I wanted to be there. And that's when things started with my mum. I can talk about my dad in more detail on another episode. I just wanted to briefly discuss how the depression came about. So my mum has suffered from depression a long time, but given that her husband had just passed away and they were both had big plans, retirement, after working their whole life, they she became severely depressed, which we thought was absolutely normal because that's what they told us and it fitted in with the circumstances in her life. So for a while, we went on with this and she did get tested because her memory wasn't great. She was going to counselling and they said it was just severe depression from my dad passing away. So we just let her go to our counsellor and let her take her medication and we just carried on with life. And that's when I got a full-time job because my dad passed away my last year at uni so I had to reset a year because I couldn't sit my last exam so it was just exams I had to sit. And I got a full-time job and I think I was there a good couple of months and that's when I started to get a bit of money. So we, me and my sister who lived at home at this point, noticed my mum was very reserved and a lot quieter and just not herself but we put that down to depression because that is the kind of symptoms and behaviours of someone who has depression, especially her circumstances. She started misplacing things and she was in about two accidents 
which now we know was probably due to her Alzheimer's. But I remember being in the car with her and she was driving a bit far over the central line, but she said that she was meaning to do it, but you didn't think anything of it at the time. It was just a bit strange. And we just continued life as normal. So when I got a bit of money, I wanted to treat mum for her birthday, so I took her to London to Harry Potter Studios because she is a massive Harry Potter fan. And I thought that would be great just to cheer her up and take her mind off of things. So when we got there, I noticed, first of all, in the hotel room, our clothes were all flung in our suitcase and weren't the cleanest. They weren't really dirty, but they weren't the cleanest. I noticed when she was putting deodorant on, she was spraying it on her shoes. And when I was asking her what she doing, she almost tried to mask it as if she meant it. And then she would put it on normally, which I thought was weird. But again, I didn't think anything too deep into it. I just thought this was her acting a wee bit strange and she was spraying her shoes. Then we went out to the Harry Potter studios, which was brilliant. We got so many pictures and spent the whole day there. But she, if anyone's been there, you stand at the broom and you shout up and the stick comes up to you. But mom just kept lifting her arm in the air. And there was a huge queue waiting and she just was not getting it. And I was getting really frustrated with her, which I feel really bad for now, but I didn't know she had Alzheimer's. I just could not understand why she was not getting this simple task. So we ignored that. I even said sorry to the women organise it, which I just feel terrible about. But anyway, when we went to the end, as you know, there's a big statue or big ornament of the Hogwarts castle and we were getting photos together I was taking photos of her and I just asked my mum if she could take a photo of me and it wasn't my phone she was using it was a camera like a digital camera back then so all you had to do was press a button and she just could not get it no matter how many times I told her how to do it and she was getting really upset over it and started crying and I didn't understand why she was getting upset but we kind of just ignored it and we just carried on with our day and spent the day in London which was good. So when I got back, I did explain to my sister what had happened and I did say, this doesn't seem normal behaviour. I don't think she's getting any better because this was over a year down the line and I thought there would be some improvement at this point because she'd been going to counselling, taking medication and I felt that things were just getting worse. So we did speak to the doctors and the counsellor about it and they took that on board when it came to her counselling. However, I said that I wanted to go in and speak to the counsellor because I don't feel like my mum is being honest and maybe she's downplaying things. So I didn't want to intrude in her sessions because I knew they were important to her. So I went in before my mum had went in and sat with my mum there and said, I just want to tell you what had happened. I don't want to embarrass her, but this is what happened when we went to London. And the woman was very dismissive and I don't really think she listened to me. And I didn't feel listened to at all. So I let her know and I was hoping maybe she'll take that into consideration when she continues the counselling sessions with my mum. So my sister then decided to take my mum to Canada to go and see some family to cheer her up because we just wanted to spend time with her and cheer her up because we felt as if she was quite alone. Even though she had a widow's club that she went to, it was full of widows that had lost their husbands 
and they went wee days out and things like that. She had a wee group there, but apart from that, she was quite alone when all her friends were retiring and retiring and spending time with her husbands when she didn't have that. So my sister took her to Canada and she noticed there as well her clothes were very dirty. She was very reserved and she was acting quite strange. Um, so it wasn't until we get back we decided that this is not normal now. Like something is definitely going on here. She was misplacing things. She was losing a lot of weight. Her behaviour was just strange. Disappearing for hours with the dog. Going out with clothes on that weren't hers, which is normal to some people, but my sister had big furry jackets at this point and my mum would never wear them. And she would wear them going out. She would wear things back to front. She would wear two odd shoes. It was just becoming a bit worrying. And we just kept getting told it's depression, it's depression. So we pushed and pushed and pushed to get her scanned. And with the help of my auntie and my sister being in the nursing field, we managed to get her scanned. And the results that came back were bad. Um, we didn't know this at the time, but the doctor had said that the scan was one of the worst they'd seen of someone of her age. So she was 59 at this point. And I don't know how they did not pick up on this before. So that's how she got late stage early onset. So that leads to when we found out her diagnosis. So the doctor phoned to try and book an appointment to give my mum her diagnosis. But my sister was quite adamant that we couldn't wait months for a, an appointment to find out a diagnosis. Can we just find out over the phone? Because my sister does not mind telling my mum, which is very hard in itself to do. But my sister, being a nurse, has a good bedside manner and has got a way of giving bad news in a good way, if that makes sense. So she found out over the phone what she had, late stage, early onset. And I think she was a bit upset at the time I wasn't home to find that out, but I was at work. So my sister texts me at work, and I remember it very clearly because it was a bake sale when I work. I'd just bought all the cakes, sat at my desk and got a phone call, and my sister told me what happened. And I was very upset at the time because... Hundreds of things run through your head. How long she got left? What does this mean? Because I knew nothing about dementia or Alzheimer's at this point. I thought it was just, she's going to forget everything and that's the end of it. So my sister told me, come home, we'll discuss it. So I phoned someone up in the, on my floor to bring down my belongings and left. And I remember driving home. It was very slow but very quick at the same time. I don't really remember most of the journey. I just remember having loads of thoughts in my head. And when we got home, we discussed between ourselves what the plan was and how we were going to break this news to her. So my mum was out for that day driving, which is quite scary to think. And my sister wanted her to have one last day of normality without being labelled with Alzheimer's, which isn't a bad thing to be labelled with, but just to be carefree not knowing you've got this disease. So my sister let her have her day. When she came back, she came back a little bit earlier than planned. My sister sat her down and she broke the news to her, which was horrible to hear. And my mum, I think my mum knew, I think she knew she had something, something was going on. She must have been terrified knowing that she had this going on and she couldn't tell anyone. She must have felt so lonely knowing something is going on in my head and I don't know what it is. She went upstairs and had a little cry and then came back down and we explained to her, she's not alone, we are going to be here 
and were just going to do as much as possible. And I think that gave mum some reassurance that she wasn't alone anymore in this fight and that she had us to rely on. So straight away within that week, we booked a holiday for her in Tenerife for the summer because this was February when we found out and she was 68 in the March. So it was quite quite quick that we booked this because we just wanted to start making memories as soon as possible because we get told late stage we had no idea what stage she would be at at this point so jumping to summer we had a great holiday in Tenerife my mum was quite independent at this point she could walk about talk a wee bit forgetful her cognitive skills were slightly going at this point didn't know to touch her nose if you told her to pick something up she wasn't too good at it, like washing her hair and things like that. My sister would help her with that. But nothing that if you've seen her walking about, you'd think she's got Alzheimer's. So she was, it was quite normal at this point. And then when we get back, we lived life normally um, at this point. She would go round and visit my papa, which was her dad, every day. I just lived 10 minutes round the road. She would go round with Ralph every day. She would get the paper and walk round to my papa's just to spend time with him and she'd still have a wee group that she went out with so life was quite normal for a bit even though we had this horrible diagnosis when things started to get a little worse when she needed some more help with personal care we discussed carers for her and she was quite adamant to begin with that she did not want these so we didn't get them straight away So I had also thought, I want to take her to Canada because that's where a lot of my mum and my dad's family are from. So I booked two weeks in Canada, a week in Vancouver, a week in Calgary. And the following summer, we went there. And again, she was relatively normal. She was starting to get some incontinence at this point with a pad, which is quite normal for people who have had babies. That's basically what she was using at this point. And... We walked miles in Vancouver. All we did was walk. She did so well. We met all our family. We had loads of tourist things, created so many memories. It was a great time. And we were at Vancouver Place, I believe it's called, where all the cruise ships dock. And we were with some of the family there and we were about to go on a 4D roller coaster type thing. And as we were walking to the roller coaster, my mum's jeans were soaking at the back. And I was, I didn't know what to do. I was thinking, how did I tell her? So I told my mum, I think you've had a little accident. And she had no clue what I was talking about. Could not, didn't even make any effort to cover it up. Couldn't feel it. Wasn't embarrassed and didn't know it was there. Even when I told her, it just wasn't going through to her. So I took her overshirt off that she had on and tied it around her waist to hide it. And I remember sitting on that ride while they were all enjoying it, thinking what the hell did I do in this situation here? So I told my family I was with quite discreetly and we went to Sears, I believe it's called, their version of Boots and I didn't even know what to get. I had no clue what to get so I found these pull-up pants which just looked like pants but they had a pad on them. I thought that would do. So I bought a pack of them and I took her into the toilet and I changed her myself because I didn't know what else to do and just continued to wear the the shirt round her waist to hide the jeans which dried up quite quickly because it was warm so for the rest of the two weeks we had 
the pull-up pants, which saved me so much problems, stress and issues. I didn't have to worry about it. Because all she really needed help with was getting washed in the morning. So I would wash her hair for her in the shower while she had swimwear on and then I'd put soap in her hands and she would clean the rest of her body and I'd lay out her clothes for her. That's as much as she really needed care-wise at that point. She could feed herself, drink and do everything else. So we had a great time and we went to Calgary and also had a great time with family who spoiled us and we spent so many time. The sad thing is I didn't really realise at the time it would be a goodbye for her and the family because she no longer remembers them and it was very sad leaving because that's what it was. It was a goodbye. But when we got home, I told my sister the issues that we had. And it was quite stressful given I'm a male and it was a bit easier for my sister being a female to give my mum personal care. But we continued with the pants at this point because it was just a lot easier. And that's when we discussed possibly getting some carers in at this point because it was becoming a bit more. She did need a bit more help and my mum was very open to it, which was brilliant. So my sister organised it because she kind of knows that side of things to get carers in. And we didn't really know much about carers, but we got the first company that I can't remember their name now, but I won't mention their name just in case there is other care companies that go by the same name. But I can dive into talking about care another time because that's a whole different subject but this care company were awful like dangerously awful so the first day the carers started my sister happened to have a holiday booked and that was fine because she had it booked for ages and she needed a break and I was there anyway but I was working full time about an hour's drive away in Bishop Briggs and about a two hour journey all round to get back home and the first day it happened I phoned up my mum just to check if it was fine. She said it was fine. And when I came back, I noticed there was wet towels on the the bed just left there. So her bed was all wet. So they basically came in and showered her. And that's all they really done. Because she didn't really need much more than that. Just a wee hand getting showered and changed. That's about it. And I let that slide because it was the first time. I didn't really know what, what their job was other than to help a little so this probably happened for about two, three days. And then when it came to the Thursday, I got a phone call at work saying that they had overdosed my mum with her medication. And I didn't know what to do because I'm thinking, I'm an hour's drive away. What do you mean you've overdosed her? Like phone, one, uh, phone 999, phone a doctor, phone something. I don't know why you're phoning me. I didn't know what to do. But it turns out um, it was actually fine. But they had overdosed her, which... I couldn't believe and my sister was in a different time zone and it, I didn't know what to do. So when I get back that night, there was wet towels over the bed again and I was really, really pissed off. I was so stressed and thinking, can you stop leaving wet towels there and put them in the... We had a basket for laundry, for dirty laundry to put in and they told me it wasn't their job and... Me and these two women had an argument in my kitchen and I had never stood up for myself before. I remember like shivering with anger. And this is where I kind of became my mum's voice. I know my sister has always been my mum's voice, but this is when I kind of found my voice and I was telling them, it is your job to do that. It's not a hard thing to pick up wet towels and put it in a basket. 
and I'm not happy with the way you are treating my house. You aren't leaving any notes. I don't know when you are coming in, when you are leaving, what you have actually done. And I don't like that you phone me up at work to tell me you've overdosed my mum. So they argued and then they left. So it comes to the weekend and I got up on the Saturday. Mum's getting showered, which was fine. And when I went downstairs to go and get my cereal in the morning, a random man started walking up my stairs. I don't know how to get in my house. And I asked him, what is he doing in here? Because it should only be women. And my mum was getting showered at this point. So I told him to get out and that he should not be walking in my house. So my sister got back the Sunday and we cancelled that care company completely. And apparently that care company collapsed not long afterwards because they were just awful. Then we got another care company who were not as bad, but still really bad. They would come in for tuck-ins at half five. So a tuck-in was just to give her a medication, really, and make sure she got into her pyjamas. They'd come in at half five, not knowing that I'm making her dinner, and I'd ask them what they're doing here. And they said they were just driving by. So that was a no-go because she was not getting tucked in at half five. She was in her early 60s at this point, very much there, could make her own decisions at this point, and they were not taking advantage of her this way. So we cancelled them. And that's when we got the good care company. It was my friend's mum who runs the care company. And what a difference it made. These were all dementia champions. They came in and had a notebook. They would log in and log out. So note when they came in, note when they left, what they did in their visit, what medication they gave her. And everything was logged. So we knew it was going on. So we had peace of mind at this point. And they were great. So that's the care story. It was... I'm sure people who have went through care have went through or still go through really bad care companies and they are hard to find. But the annoying thing is my mum was under the age of 65 at this point so she had no funding towards this and this was all coming out of her pocket. So I thought if she's paying for care, she's getting the care she's paying for. The care part was sorted out so life just continued as normal at that point. We started installing cameras just to check on her when we were at work because I still worked full-time during the day and my sister worked night shifts as a nurse so we'd kind of swap over, albeit my sister did about 99% of the cooking so she'd cook before she left or I would try and cook something like oven pizza or something like that. But everything was relatively normal. We had a few hiccups like the beast from the east that snowed everywhere and everyone was stuck so my sister was stuck in the hospital at work and the carers couldn't get there so I had to do some personal care at that point but other than that it was mainly my sister and the carers that just came in morning at night and we did eventually up that to lunchtime but other than that it was us there all the time and that's when we get Alzheimer Scotland involved so they told us what we were entitled to and helped with some funding for a wet room which was amazing for my mum because she couldn't get into the shower anymore and even like a raised toilet was so much better for her. And they provided respite for us, which was, I think it was four hours during the week and four hours at the weekend. So a bus would come, they would come to the door, pick her up from the door and take her away on days out and feed her lunch and she would socialise, which she loved. And we didn't realise how much respite we needed until that happened. It was a weight off your shoulders. You know, the hours that she was away, you could either do what you wanted, get things done, but most of the time we just slept because it was, we could sleep peacefully at that point without worrying because you just don't switch off. And 
then things started to get a bit worse. But throughout this, we'd been taking my mum on holidays um, every summer and taking her out to like Blackpool and things like that in between then. But before COVID, the last holiday we took her on was in Greece. It was Rhodes. We, me and my sister laugh about this now, but it isn't funny. But it was one of the most stressful days of our life. We took her on a speedboat tour that put us to an island. I can't remember the name of the island now. But we walked around everywhere and she was absolutely fine. But all of a sudden she just stopped wanting to walk and she was screaming and crying. So we had to grab an arm each while she was like hunched over, crying, trying to walk her back to this boat to get the boat back in time. And everyone thought, I think everyone thought she was drunk and everyone was staring at us because it looked like we were kidnapping her. But we eventually got her back. But we just knew things were getting worse at this point. And that's when... Covid hit, so Covid was good in a way that I got to spend more time with my mum but she unfortunately got Covid but this, I'm jumping ahead, so my sister was obviously in the front line at this point and did everything not to let my mum get Covid so we were very protective and I got to work from home so I was always, I was always there which was good and we got to spend a lot of time with her but we, unfortunately, she got COVID just before Christmas, which I had to test her for because my sister got it a week before Christmas and isolated in her room. And I had decided to move out at this point so my sister could have a life, so I could have a life. And my sister's plan was to move her boyfriend in so they could care and it means I could visit and we could have shots each mum could stay at mine. That was the plan. So I was doing up a house for a while and I tested myself and took my mum to the test centre and she couldn't get tested because she kept biting down. So they told me at the test centre, which was very unhelpful, that I had to do it myself and I had to order a test kit. So the next day I tested my mum myself and it was so stressful. I had to put my sister on FaceTime to watch me to tell me how to do it, but I couldn't get my mum to keep her mouth open. She kept biting my fingers. So I had to find something and just spur the moment found a sellotape roll that we were using to sellotape up presents and I just put that in her mouth to bite down on and I managed to get a swab. And I found out on Christmas Eve as I was getting all the food for us that she had COVID. So I dropped all the food off and it meant my sister could come out the room. Even though my sister was really ill from COVID herself and still has long COVID, she cared for mum while she was ill and then the next day on Christmas day I had Ralph so I wasn't alone I had to go and get tested again myself so I get tested on Christmas day and while I was in the area it wasn't allowed at the time but I stood outside the window just to say hi to mum on Christmas day and mum was very upset because she was obviously suffering with Covid and it was just making everything worse for her and unfortunately she had a fall which she got blue lighted to the hospital and because of COVID my sister couldn't go in the ambulance so she drove and slept outside in the car until we found out if mum was okay which she was and she was in the hospital for a couple of days and then came back but in between this mum has been in and out of hospital and me and my sister were always doing shifts on and off which was a stress in itself it was just a lot of time and 
from then, I don't really feel as if my mum recovered. I always felt as if that jumped some stages for her, for her Alzheimer's. And she just became a lot worse, which was sad to see. And we did everything with her. We took her out and I'd bring her up to my flat. I'd take her out. I would try to keep her as long as I could till 11 o'clock. So my sister had time off. And we did this for a good nine months. My sister was doing it more or less alone. Even though I was visiting and taking her out, it was mainly her. And that's when we decided this is becoming too much now. She is too much for us to handle. She is needing more care than we can provide and that the carers can provide with their visits. She was just so upset all the time and scared of the house. So me and my sister, my brother as well, decided collectively, let's look for a care home, which we didn't want to do, but we thought, we'll just look at them just now and get a feel. And we knew that the waiting lists were really long, so we, me and my sister went round a, a lot of care homes and my sister found the one that she's currently in that I also visited before we got her in the waiting list. And it was a small home that we found out my, I think it was my mum's auntie that was actually in at one point, which is strange. Or my mum's brother-in-law's auntie, I'm not too sure. But it felt like a home. It was small, it was the same staff it was at agency, so it was a small home, which we liked. And we got her in the waiting list. And with waiting lists, unfortunately, you need to wait until a bed's free, as horrible as it is, which my mum managed to get in relatively quickly, considering how long she was in the waiting list for, but it was just her luck, which is a horrible thing to say, but I don't know how else how else to put that. And I remember I was away for a wedding for a week abroad, and I came back, and that was the day she was going in. And I remember taking her out a drive before, getting quite upset about it, thinking, this is it, this is the next stage. And the guilt that me and my sister felt was horrible. Even to today, we have so much guilt. But my mum settled in very quickly. We told her she was moving back to a flat in Bridgeton. And that's what she thought it was. And we felt terrible leaving her. More so my sister than me, because I had moved out at this point. And I was still visiting my mum. And when I had moved out, I was ill. Very ill with worry and not see my mum. And I had to actually take some time off work. Which is a whole other subject because my manager at the time made me uh, very mentally ill at this point. Um, I had to take a lot more time off work due to her interrogating me. And just being horrible. But I can go into that another point, another time. Um... But it was a very difficult and dark time. And that's what my sister started going through, having to leave my mum in the care home because she wasn't used to that. So my sister was up there near enough every single day, all day, until we were like, this is what we're doing this for. We need to have a bit of our own life. She needs to settle in. The carers were trying to tell us that. But anyone that's put anyone in a care home, it is very difficult to let go. But now we've got quality time with my mum. We know she's cared for. We love to go up and visit her. We've got sleep, we have energy and we get to just have good times with her now and we still take it out all the time but that is a very very difficult part of it knowing the next stage and my mum's been in and out of hospital as well in the care home and that's also another topic I can touch on when I talk about carers the the hospital staff that she's, she's had some good hospital staff and 
bad ones who don't have a clue how to deal with anyone with dementia. So much so that the last time she was in the hospital, me and my sister had to do full shifts whilst working. And my sister would come down on her shift from her ward just to make sure things were done, like medication given to her, because that wasn't done. And they would leave tea beside her. Nobody was giving her food. It was just horrendous. It was more stress than you would like from the hospital. And I know the NHS is on its knees, but this was still during covid um, but that's a whole other topic. So that leads us to where we are now. I've probably missed out a whole bunch of things, but it is a longer topic that I've tried to fit in and loads of subtopics which I could talk about in other podcasts. But my mum is me and my sister's priority and we've been doing this for over eight years and it has worn us down. We've missed out on so much in life that most people in their 20s get to experience, like travelling, my sister's missed out on possibly children at a younger age. Um, I don't feel I've had a chance to have a life and explore the world, which I've always wanted to do. I don't, I've not managed to get a girlfriend or anything like that. Because I always feel like I don't have time. I just feel that my time is my mum. And I know that's, she's always wanted us to not let her hold us our back. And I haven't talked about power of attorney, but we got that quite quickly. That helps a lot, by the way. Um, and nowadays, it's more a mental health issue for me. I've always had mental health, and so has my sister, but it really does take its toll on you. And just watching other people without having mums and dads that they might take for granted, it's hard to watch sometimes, and it's hard to see mum upset, which it has been the past couple of months. It's really difficult to see your mum distressed and that you can't do anything about it. And although she's forgotten me, she's still my mum. Even though she's not my mum anymore, she is physically still there, if that makes sense. My parents are both gone to me, um, which is something I struggle with a lot. And I, I don't think anyone, unless you've been through the same situation, can understand what that feels like, watching someone slowly just disappear in front of you, whereas my dad's death was quite sudden and he was gone and that was hard to deal with, but he was gone. So I dealt with it that way, whereas my mum is half gone. It's very difficult to explain because she's still here, but she's not here. And every day is one day closer to her not being here. It's just, it's a horrible situation and I can speak about that when it comes to mental health because I'd like to discuss that as well. But... All that matters now is my mum's happy, she's in a great care home and me and my sister do the best for her and that is all that matters in my life at the moment and sometimes I don't feel that my friends understand that but I don't expect them to and I don't expect people to put their life in hold for me but maybe one day they will but I just know I'll live life with no regrets. So that's the full story up until now. As I said, I've probably missed a lot and I've probably rambled on, but that's the gist of how things have went up until now. So let's get on to a more cheery side of things and go on to the music side. Music is a big part of my life and especially my mum's life for those that suffer with dementia or Alzheimer's. Music can bring back memories and especially my mum, she remembers old and new music like Ed Sheeran Adele and then old, old music. 
and it just cheers her up. She sings, she dances, taps her foot, still remembers some words, and it's just very important to her, and it's just something that's always been important to me. List my mood. It, I love to listen to it in certain moods. It's just something that's important to my family, so I wanted to include that in this because I love finding new music, which I want to add at the end of the music segment in this each episode, like an up-and-coming artist or something, maybe something's not heard of. So in this segment, it's usually the music part, but if you're listening to this on any other platform other than Spotify, due to copyright reasons, I can't play the music for you to listen to. So if you want to listen to it, you can jump over to Spotify to listen to that. If you don't have Spotify, you can still listen to it for free. It just has ads in it. The songs I chose was my mum's all-time favourite song is by The Corries. It is called Will You Go, Lassie Go, or Wild Mountain Time, as it's also called. She absolutely loves this song, and she still sings it to today. The song that I chose is from my all-time favourite band, which is Nothing But Thieves, who are relatively unheard of, so I'd recommend listening to them. But the song I chose was Particles. That's one of my favourite songs. And the up-and-coming artist, or unknown, of at the time of recording is last dinner party nothing matters i would really give them a listen because i think they're becoming quite big just now but that's the song so if you want to listen to it you need to go over to spotify but other than that it will be the next section so that's the music part over so the next section is the highly requested bedtime stories and i know i've said it before but i still think it's slightly strange but instead of reading actual bedtime stories i will just read a short story in that way. Maybe you fall asleep listening to this at night, maybe you just cringe at it, or maybe you've switched off at this point, but this has been requested and I've put into a wee app to write a story for me, and that way it will change it up every week, and you can always have a request of what you want it about. And I say every week, it's every episode. I don't know how often the episodes will come out at this point, because this is the first So this is the bedtime story. So this is relatively short, but we can increase it for another episode depending how this goes. John had always been a lonely man. He had never known much love in his life, from his distant parents to his failed marriages. He had long since given up hope of finding someone to hold and care for him. As he grew older, the solitude only deepened. He would spend his days wandering around the small town, feeling like an outsider looking in. Everywhere he looked, he saw people laughing and living life to the fullest. It only made him feel more insignificant and alone. One day, John took a chance and joined a dating app. He didn't have high expectations, but he figured it couldn't hurt to try. At first, he spent a few hours swiping left and right, but to no avail. He just couldn't seem to find someone who saw him for who he was. One night, he got a message from a woman named Sarah. Her profile picture was beautiful, and he was instantly drawn to her. They began chatting, and over time, they became close. Sarah was everything John had dreamed of. Kind, funny, and beautiful. Their conversations lasted late into the night, and John began to open up to her about his loneliness. To his surprise, she felt the same way. They had both been searching for someone to love, someone to share their lives with. They decided to meet in person, and when John saw her, he knew he had finally found what he had been looking for. He held her close, and for the first time in years, he felt like he belonged somewhere. 
They began dating and everything seemed perfect. John was happier than he had been in years and he thanked his lucky stars for bringing Sarah into his life. But as time passed, Sarah's old wounds began to show. She was afraid of getting hurt again and she began to pull away. John was devastated. He wanted to love her more than anything, but he felt like he was constantly pushing her away. In the end, Sarah decided that she couldn't keep going and she broke it off with him. John was back to where he started, alone and broken hearted, but he knew he had felt something once and maybe one day he would find love again. Until then, he would keep searching for that elusive feeling, clinging to hope that someday he would find what he had been looking for all his life. That was a very sad, depressing story that this app came up with for me, but that's a wee short story. I can increase this over time, but I'm very wary of how long the podcast already is. And that's this segment over. And that is that for the first episode of Through the Storm. Thank you very much to those that have listened. If you have got any feedback, please let me know on any of my socials. It's GrahamFS on TikTok, GrahamS91 on Instagram, and you can just Google my full name, Graham Sutherland, on Google, and it will have all my links there. And if you can just message me some feedback, that'd be great. And I'll let you know on my socials when the next episode will be coming out. And I'd love to hear your feedback. But thank you for listening and thank you for all your support to date. You have been amazing. See ya.